Okay, we have a very full room. I hope, I hope everybody can, can see and hear. Hope everybody has an outline. They prepared a very nice booklet. Look at that. It's got flowers. <laughs> Looks like a sister's training. It's got, it's got flower, pink flowers. Not just flowers. Pink flowers. The reason I know about these things is I'm a married man, and I have two grown daughters, so I understand the significance of pink flowers. Um, Thank the Lord for giving us this time this weekend. Um, It's not often that um, I ever get a chance to speak to this large of a group of sisters it's it's wonderful I hope that the Lord will give us something really profitable I think he will and um, before we get into this first um, outline that we have I like just say a little bit to begin with a little bit about my own uh, consideration for this weekend and and hopefully you know what the Lord may be burdened for for us um, you know it to state the obvious there are more sisters in the church life than brothers so one could make the argument that the sisters are more important than the brothers because for the building up of the church because we have more. And actually, this is almost universally true. I travel a lot, and uh, everywhere I go, the the truth is there are more sisters than brothers. Um, I have my own theory why that may be, but... Let me give you the short version. Men aren't as smart. They don't know that they have a need, and they're too proud to admit their need as a rule. So the sisters generally are are better at saying, hey, I have a need. I need need the Lord. I need the church. I need the saints. The brothers are not quite as good at that <clears throat> but that's why we that's why we get married uh, we we can be trained we can um, it's difficult and it takes a really long time but um, studies have proven yeah men men they can be trained yeah they can they can um, one of the things we'd like to fellowship about this weekend is how how do the sisters function in the church life? How do, or how should they function? And I think all of you know there's no real teaching in the Bible that tells us that, is there? There's I can't think of one. Is there a chapter in the Bible that talks about the proper function of the sisters? I don't think so. Old Testament or New Testament. In fact, 
it's difficult to even find that many verses. And we, the ones that we have, we're going to cover. Um, but what we do see in, in the New Testament is some patterns, especially in Romans 16, which we're going to cover tonight. It's not a teaching, but there is a pattern there of how the sisters ought to function. And <clears throat> it's good that it's in the book of Romans. Romans is the book that really talks about the, the practical church life and how we live the church life, how we live the body life. And, of course, Romans 16 is a really interesting chapter because Paul had never been to Rome. We know that from Romans chapter 1. He hadn't been there. And yet, in chapter 16, if I remember correctly, I believe he mentions 30 names in that chapter. 30. He knew the names of 30 of the saints in Rome, and he had never been there. And a bunch of them, a lot of those names that he mentions in Romans 16, as you get into it, you find out a lot of them were sisters. Like, if you ask me the names of the saints in the various localities where I go, I could probably remember a few of the elders, maybe, but I couldn't give you the name of 30 sisters. I'm sorry. I just couldn't do it. In fact, I couldn't give you 30 names of brothers or sisters, but Paul, Paul could. And in his speaking concerning the sisters, I think we can pick up a few points that would be helpful to us. But I want to say something about another verse in the book of Romans before we get to chapter 16. We have chapter 12, and chapter 12 is a big, important chapter on how to live in the body life. That's really the subject, or how to live in the church life. And in that chapter, it's a very crucial verse, uh, which we all know. It's verse 2. It was actually paraphrased in the song that we sang. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove by testing what the will of God is, that which is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Then the very next verse tells you what it means to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. It's, it talks about not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. So the renewing of the mind is a change in our way of thinking. Why do I bring up this verse? Because we live, whether we like it or not, we live in a very particular age of time. You know, the, the world changes from age to age. And in Ephesians 2, you have this expression, the age of the world. It's the age that we live in. In the age that we live in, there is a philosophy. And that philosophy includes many things. Um, many 
concepts, many ways of thinking. And I think all of us can agree with what the Bible says, whatever age we're in, it's a crooked and perverted age. Nothing could describe this age better than crooked and perverted. And one of the things that is perverted in this age is the proper understanding of a man and a woman. It's perverted. It's, I don't know what other word you could use. Perverted is the right word. There's a thinking about man and women that is absolutely devilish. The, the mind behind the system. You know, Brother Nee has a book called Love Not the World. And in that book, there's a chapter called The Mind Behind the System. What's the mind that, that, that is behind the satanic cosmos that we live in? It's the mind of Satan. And by the way, what was the fruit of the tree of knowledge that the devil used to deceive Eve? Many people, when they read the Bible, they don't understand that the two trees in Genesis are not physical trees. Have you ever seen a life tree? Have you ever seen a knowledge tree? Did the satanic life and nature enter into the human race because Eve ate a piece of fruit? No, that's ridiculous. And would the divine life and nature enter into the human race if, if they had eaten a different piece of fruit? No, 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 no. When we read the Bible, we have to understand which parts are literal and which parts are symbolic. The two trees are symbolic. They're not literal. If, if they are literal, where, where's the tree of knowledge today? Is it in New Zealand? Because I haven't seen it in America. So where is it? No, they're, they're, not, they're not literal. They're symbolic. So I'm, I'm just asking you to consider this for a minute. What is it that Eve took into her? You know, to eat means, we just had this in the crystallization of Leviticus, to eat means you take something into you from outside of you. And that thing that gets into you affects you in an organic way. That's what it means to eat. So I ask you again, what did Eve take into her? The thought of Satan. That tree is called the tree of knowledge. What would the fruit be if it were not thoughts? So she had God's word, but Satan came to twist God's word and to affect her thinking. It's quite clear. In fact, when Paul refers to it in, <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 11, he, he, let me read it to you. I don't think I can quite quote it. But when he refers to that, 
He talks specifically about the thoughts, doesn't he? Second uh, Corinthians 11. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your thoughts would be corrupted. Your thoughts. Your thoughts would be corrupted from the simplicity and the purity toward Christ. So what, how did the satanic nature enter into man through man's most vulnerable part, the mind, the mind? You know, we control our will, don't we? Man has a free will. God does not control man's will. Satan does not control man's will. Our will is a lot harder for the enemy to attack, but our mind is really easy. It's the easiest place for him to attack. He knows that. So he came to Eve, and he, he started not by contradicting God's word, just by planting a suggestion. They had a very clear word from God, didn't they? God said, you can eat any of the trees. Any of them are fine, except that one. And if you eat that tree of knowledge, you will surely die. What could be clearer? So Satan comes. The first thing he says is, did, did God say that? Did he say that? Well, yes, he did. But Eve made a mistake. Instead of saying, yes, that's God's word, she got into a conversation with Satan. Sorry, sisters, you're going to really be glad to see me leave on the Lord's Day. (laughs) But that's the problem with the sisters. They like to talk. And they'll even talk with the devil. Um, and Eve had a little chit-chat with Satan, then he was able to directly lie. He said, you will not die. And she took it. See, if he had come to her immediately and said, you will not die, I don't think she would have fallen for that. So he engaged her in a conversation. Then he says, you will not surely die. Okay, so here's my point. This age that you and I live in has a perverted thought, and the source of that thought is Satan. It is Satan himself. It's not the government of New Zealand. It's not the legislature. They're not the source. They make bad laws that that correspond to the satanic thought, but they're not the source of it. The source of it is satanic. We have to know that. And what we need to do with everything is we need to come back to God's speaking. God's speaking. That was Eve's mistake. She had God speaking. So let's come back to God's word Let's find out 
what the proper function of a, a male is and what the proper function of a female is. We need that. We need our mind renewed. Um, one of the characteristics, just one, of the philosophy of this age, as I said, if you want to get anything ready to throw at me, go ahead. I mean, rocks, oranges, apples. One of the, the, the elements of the philosophy of this age is feminism. Men and women are equal in every respect. Is that true? Is that what the Bible teaches? But isn't that what this age teaches? And don't think that doesn't affect us in the church life. It sure does. It sure does. You know, I was in a meeting like this once, and uh, another brother was speaking, not me, and he's much older than I, and he, he, he gave a word, and then when he sat down, one of the sisters in the meeting stood up. She said, how come your wife didn't give this message? It's in a church meeting. And the brother said, <laughs> he said, my wife serves the Lord by supporting my function. That was his answer. Would you, what would you, how would you have answered that? Um, so, I mean, and this was a younger sister who spoke this, and it happens. And I think we, we understand that what the younger generation among us has been taught, what they have heard nearly their whole life, is completely wrong. It's completely wrong. And see, the reason I spend a little time on the story in Genesis is <clears throat> this is how the enemy works. It's, it's, it's little by little. He chips away at the truth little by little because we wouldn't fall for it otherwise. So little by little, the concept begins to change. Then the next thing you know, Man is woman, and woman is man. And you go, how did that happen? It's happened. It happened little by little until, and then, and then the age says, oh, yeah, that's right. We're good. We need laws. We need laws to protect this great understanding that we now have. So we've got to be rescued from the philosophy of this age. And it's, it's more, forgive me for saying this, but I include myself. It's more in us than we think it is. It's more in us than we think it is. Um, okay, I think that's good enough for an introduction. Let's spend a little time. We do have, we do have three days, so we don't have to do everything tonight. This first outline gives us um, <clears throat> the general subject of our fellowship this week, which, or this weekend, which is, I, I wasn't too sure what to call it, but serving sisters in the church life. Amen. My real burden 
is not that much on serving. My real burden is the church life. But this title, Serving Sisters in the Church Life, let me tell you where it comes from. It comes from a message that Brother Lee gave with that identical title. I highly recommend that. And I'm going to give you a list of messages given by Brother Lee that were given specifically to the sisters. But that's the first one. This, In fact, let me just tell you, this first outline comes from two messages that Brother Lee gave. The title of the first one is um, the, six, the Six Marys. Have you seen that one? Yeah, the Six Marys. Very interesting. And then this one, the second one, is uh, the, the general subject, serving sisters. I won't write the whole thing. Serving sisters in the church life. And I, actually, every, every point on this first outline is not only taken from these two booklets, every single point on this outline is a quotation from one of those two messages. Those messages are much, much, much better than the one you're going to hear tonight. <laughs> so I would recommend that you read them. But I'll do my best to give you a little uh, understanding of what they talk about. <clears throat> okay, so this first outline says the need for serving sisters with a serving spirit in the church life. And the reason I told you that story about the sister who stood up in the meeting is she has a wrong idea of what it means to serve in the church life as a sister. And it's not my opinion. That's Paul's word. We, we don't have the sisters teach. Now, is that, whose idea is that? It's God's. And Paul, the leading apostle, spoke it plainly. But this age has a completely different concept. We've got women pastors, women teachers, women evangelists, women preachers on television. Well, and some people say, oh, that's progress. That's great. That's fantastic. Look, look how, look how great it is in society today that people, they're, they're so progressive in their thinking. No, they're not. They're regressive. They went back to the devil. They went back to Genesis chapter 1. That's not progressive. It's terrible. So how do we serve? That's what we want to understand. Okay, uh, I'll read a little to you. In order for God to fulfill his purpose and to accomplish his economy, there is a great need for the function of the sisters in the church life. Of course there is. Over half of the church life are sisters. Of course there's a great need. That's huge. And how the sisters go is how the church is going to go. It, it, it will. And it's like in a family. How, how that family is going to go 
depends on how the wife goes. And that's how the church life is. So uh, A says we need to see the position of the sisters in the record of the New Testament. And here's nine points that are taken from, again, from these two booklets. The first role or the first function that we can see in the New Testament of the role of the sisters to bring forth Christ. (coughs) That's what Mary did, isn't it? Now, physically, she brought forth Christ by giving birth. That's also, have you noticed? Men do not give birth. It's just one of those things. They can't do it. Men can bring forth Christ, though, but the sisters have a particular function, to bring forth Christ. And Mary did that. Can you imagine what Mary did in her service? Yesterday I was fellowshipping with a young mother, and she has a... uh, six-month-old son. And she was telling me, don't worry, sister, I'm not going to tell anyone who your, what your name is. But I think you can all relate to this. She, she told me, she said, you know, <clears throat> the last six months have been really hard. I said, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. It's a six-month-old child. And she said, yeah, you know, before this child was born, I was serving. I was so active in the church life, in the gospel, in the meetings, in serving. Now I spend all of my time with this little infant. I said, you need to have a new thought, and that is being a mother of a child is serving the Lord. It is serving the Lord. What do we do in the church life? What do we do in the gospel? We raise people up to be for the Lord. We preach the gospel to them. We impart life into them and we perfect them in the truth. And if we were going to the campus to do that, and we had a new one who said, hey, Toby, I need a place to live. Could I stay at your house? Man, you would be so happy. You would say, man, I got a new one who's, who's going to live with me and my wife. We'll be able to we'll really be able to bring this one into the church life. Isn't that what you would say? Why is it different if, if that new one is your child? It's actually better. No, I, I'm being very serious right now. It's a hundred times better. You know why? I did the campus work for many years. We don't meet anyone on the campus. No one who hasn't already been very damaged by the world, including believers, including believers. So, I, I like to, to, to mention it in this way. 
If you contact 100 people on the campus, how many are going to come into the church life and remain in the church life for their whole life? What do you think the percentage is? It's less than 10%. I guarantee you it's less than 10%. 5% would be great. I don't think we ever even get 5%. It's probably 1%. Now, everybody knows if you're going to do a business, you, you, you want something that's going to work. And that's not a very good percentage. If you tell me, go out there, pour out every, all of your energy, all of your time, all of your care, all of your burden on 100 people, and that's going to take you years, and maybe you'll get one. Well, I did that for years on the campus. But now, a new one lives in your house. And he's going to be there for the next 20 years. <laughs> and what's the, what's, the, what's the success rate? You know, we lament, me included, we lament if we lose even one. Don't we? These are our kids. These are our children. And when I say our children, I mean they're ours. Your children, they're not just yours. They're mine. We're in the church life. So you mothers, you're caring for children. You are serving the Lord. You are. In fact, you're doing more than most of the saints especially if you're not only taking care of your own children, but other children who are children of the saints, my goodness, you are really serving the church. And uh, a brother told me yesterday, he said his mother raised four children, and he's an adult now, but when he was young, he thought, Man, my mom doesn't really do that much in the church life and in a small locality and kind of hidden. And then he said, now I know she was really serving the Lord because she brought four people into the church life who are remaining fruit. Now, how many saints in the Lord's recovery can say, I brought four people in. They're still here today. Most cannot, can they? Maybe if you're a good gospel preacher and maybe if you served full-time, uh, maybe, maybe you did gain a few. But think about it. She, she had a 100% success rate with her four children. And those four children, like I say, what do you have at the end of that process? If, I, if you go, and by contrast, I say again, go to the campus and meet a 20-year-old. 
and what you're going to be working with is a very damaged vessel. But raise up a 20-year-old in the church life, and what you're going to have is a treasure, a treasure. So I come back to Mary. Don't you think what Mary did was the most important service on the entire earth? It was. Who was doing something more important than Mary? She had Jesus living in her house. She was feeding Jesus. She was nourishing and cherishing Jesus Christ. Well, your, your, your little baby is a little Jesus Christ. He's a little baby God-man. No, he's not regenerated yet. He will be. He will be. I made sure yesterday when I talked to that six-month-old to, to preach the gospel to him. Because when he gets older, I'm going to tell him, I preached the gospel to you when you were six months old. I always do that with every baby I meet. Paul said to Timothy, from a babe, from a babe, you have known the sacred writings. That word is infant. When you were an infant, you heard the sacred writings. I never heard the sacred writings till I was in the I was one of those already damaged 20-year-olds. I never heard the sacred writings until I got to the university. So I, I, I really hope we could have a new thought about motherhood. Motherhood is a service to the Lord and to the church. It is. What 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 is it to serve? To serve really, it's not to it's I mean, please don't misunderstand me. All the service in the church is meaningful, including the practical service. But real service is not to sell books, it's not to arrange chairs. Real service is just make it simple. It's caring for people. That's what service is, isn't it? That's what we do in our service to the Lord. We care for people. So now that if you define it that way, who's doing the most service in the church? The mothers. They're serving more than anyone. And they're serving God's people. So, sisters, especially you young mothers, I hope you take comfort in this. You're, you're changing the diaper of a, of a future elder. <laughs> that little baby with the messy diaper one day he'll be sitting on the front row. He'll be an elder in the church in Hamilton. He might be a co-worker. Who knows? I really mean it. And if he's not, that's just fine. He'll be a God man. He'll be a 
member of the body of Christ who functions to build up the body of Christ. Who I would like to meet the Lord at the throne and be able to say, yeah, I gained some of those kind of people. And I did. I gained my two daughters. I have a 30-year-old and a 27-year-old. But the truth is, my wife gained them. I had a little bit to do with it, but she had a lot more to do with it. I had daughters. My wife had a lot to do with the fact that they love the Lord, that they're in the Lord's recovery. They they did go to the full-time training and all of that. I, I... I'm not being humble and I'm not pretending. I didn't have nearly as much to do with it as she did. I did my part and I tried hard to do my part, but I didn't do it very well. I think all... (laughs) This is the bad thing about parenthood. Have you noticed? As soon as you figure it out, it's too late. (laughs) It's like... Now that I've made all the mistakes, now my kids are grown. (laughs) Now I know what not to do, but it's not going to help them at all. (laughs) And it won't help your kids either because all the kids are different. So whatever I did, it won't work with your kids. That's not fair. (laughs) That's what I tell the Lord. That's not fair. But that's the way parenthood is, isn't it? Okay, so, sisters, remember, that time of your life was arranged by the Lord. You didn't arrange that. You didn't ordain that women have babies. God did. And believe me, he knows that you've got to stay at home to take care of that baby. He knows it very, very, very well. And in fact, that's what he wants you to do. He does not want you to leave your house and go to the campus and preach the gospel and tell your husband, hey, watch my six-month-old. i got to go to the campus and preach the gospel. No, 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 no. He does not want that. First of all, your husband does not know what to do with a six-month-old. I'll tell you how bad a father I am. One time... Uh, my, my two kids, the, the older one was four, and the younger one was one. And, you know, one-year-olds are really clumsy because they're just learning how to walk. Uh, maybe she wasn't even quite one. I don't remember. But I do know she was just learning how to walk. And that night, I told my wife, I said, hey, I'll watch the kids tonight if you want to go to this sister's meeting that they were going to have. And so she went to the sister's meeting. Well, I'm watching the two kids, and everything was fine until a certain point, the little one, I was just sitting in my chair. That's all I was doing. I'm still, I, I, still I, I have to tell my wife, you know, I'm trying to justify myself. I said, really? I was just sitting in the chair. And the little one, she was just walking, and she tripped over her own two feet. <laughs> and she fell on the ground. 
And, and then she started crying. And I said, okay. <laughs> Being a typical dumb man, I said, hmm, she's crying. <laughs> she must be tired. <laughs> Seemed like a really logical explanation at the time. I said, yeah, she's... And I even told my little girl, I picked her up. I said, oh, you're just tired. You're just tired. Let's, let's go to bed. So I take her and I, I put her in her crib and she wouldn't stop crying. I was like, hmm, what do you do when they don't stop crying? And then I noticed she was holding her arm like this. She wasn't able to talk yet. But I saw her holding her arm. I was like, what does that mean? And I, I really didn't know what to do. Now, I grew up in a family with nine children. So it's not like I haven't been around children. I have. But men don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And I, I put the other kid to bed. And then I go in to check on the little one. I was like, she's still crying. I said, hmm. And she's still holding her arm. So I was like, okay, something's wrong. So I take her to the hospital. She had dislocated her elbow. It's exceptionally painful to dislocate your elbow. She couldn't tell me. She, couldn't, she can't even talk. So my wife comes home from the sister's meeting. <laughs> She says, how'd it go? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Uh, I said, the kids are in bed. I said, the little one has a cast on her arm. <laughs> she did, she, her whole arms in a big cast, you know. And then my well, okay, I'm not even going to finish the story. Uh, you know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story. So here's my point. I, there really is a point. The point is, don't ask if you want your kid to live, to, to see adulthood, don't leave them with the man. Men don't know what to do with those things. They don't. They don't. Even the good ones don't know. And the bad ones really don't know. Second function of the sisters in the church life is to love the Lord. Amen. Amen. Love the Lord. That's Mary in John chapter 12. Wow. And I say again, in this matter, the sisters are much better than the brothers. They are. It's just a fact. You know, the Lord, three times in the Gospels, three times, he spoke to the disciples about his death and resurrection. Three times, not once. All three times. You know what the brother's response was? Hey, he's leaving. Who's going to be in charge when he's gone? Who's going to be the greatest? That was the brother's response. Mary's response, 
Mary's response. She said, I must pour out everything on him while I have the opportunity. I must anoint him for his burial. And you know what? You remember the story? After the Lord was crucified and they came to anoint him for his burial, it was too late. So who anointed him for his burial? Only one person. Only one. And, ooh, that story. Man, you can't read that story without tears. Uh, And the Lord said, everywhere the gospel is preached, this has to be talked about. But that... This is the function of the sisters. That's why the kids like their moms. The moms love them, the dads spank them. (laughs) And that love that you are able to have, it not only is good for the children, it's good for the church life, and it's really good for the Lord. Um, again, I say, and I, I'm, I'm really not saying this in a political way, it's just true. My wife is much better in the matter of loving the Lord than I am. So I get a lot of help from her in this regard. You know, I'm, I'm serving, I'm busy, I'm traveling, speaking, and on top of all of that, I'm a male. So I forget that, you know, while I'm doing all this stuff, I'm supposed to be loving the Lord. But my dear wife, she never forgets. That's, she lives a life of loving the Lord. And that's a big help to me. You, you will help the whole church if you just love the Lord. Amen. You'll really help your husband if you just love the Lord. And your children, they'll see that. That'll be their pattern. Then a third matter that we find in the Gospels that some sisters did is in Luke chapter 8. This one you might not have picked up. But in Luke 8, 3, it says there was a group of women who followed the Lord and ministered to him out of their possessions. So they actually offered material things to the Lord. You know, the Lord was a full-timer. He didn't have a job. He didn't have a salary. (laughs) How did he live? There's no record in the New Testament that the brothers ever gave him anything. But there is a record that the sisters gave him what he needed to live. So that's another function of the sisters. Now, I'm not saying, please don't misinterpret this. I mean, if you're married and your husband is taking care of the finances and he takes care of the offering to the church, that's absolutely proper. But the heart to do that has to be there with the sister. I I have seen families, and so have you. I have seen families where the brother wanted to give money to the church. Sister said, no, 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 we can't afford that. (laughs) 
you know, we got kids, we got mouths to feed. So this heart to serve the Lord with our material things must be with the sisters. And then number four, seeing and experiencing the death of Christ, this is Mary again. You know, it's almost, sometimes I think that the Gospels are almost a comedy, you know. Like I say, the Lord tells the brothers, I'm going I'm to be, I'm going through, I'm going to be crucified at the hands of evil men and I'll be raised up on the third day. And their response is, hey, can I sit on your right hand in the kingdom? It's like, <laughs> just completely missed it, right? And then he has already told them, on the third day, I'm going to be raised. He told them three times. Did they go there? No. No. My brothers didn't go. Mary went. You know why? She heard it. She's in John 12. She sat at his feet and listened to his word. She heard it. So she knew. Okay. He said he was going to be resurrected. I'm going. I'm going to the tomb. And she did. And she sees the Lord. Well, she, briefly. And, and you know that story. Another story that will make you weep. She just said, I've got to find him. I just have to find him. See, the, that wasn't the brother's. <laughs> In fact, when, when, when the brothers found out that he had been raised, they didn't go looking for him. They go, oh, yeah, thanks, th- thanks Mary. See you later. <laughs> so who saw and experienced the death of Christ first? It was Mary. It was Mary. She was the first person. Listen. She saw the resurrected Christ before God the Father did. She's the only one. And then he told her, he says, hey, I I need to go to the Father. I need to leave now. (laughs) The one person he saw on the earth before he ascended to the Father was Mary. Okay, number five, making Christ. Sweet and enjoyable to others. What do we mean by that? Mary, in John 12, poured out a love offering, a a costly ointment. And that account in John 12 says, the fragrance filled the house. What is that? It's a picture. Everybody in that house saw the sweetness and how enjoyable Christ is. How did they find out? Through Mary. Through Mary. So, sisters, you can do that. When you love the Lord, when you pour out yourself on him, you will make Christ enjoyable to the saints. Number six, knowing and experiencing the pneumatic Christ in resurrection. I already talked about that. That was Mary. 
Here's a big one, and we will cover it this weekend in much more detail. But there is a record, a specific record, of the prayer of the sisters in the church, in the book of Acts. Acts 1 is very explicit. 120 were praying. The brothers were there with the women. The sisters were there praying. And later, they had a prayer meeting in the home of one of the sisters. It doesn't, you know, whether she was married or not, I don't know. She's one of these. She's one of these six Marys. They had a prayer meeting in her home. It doesn't say they had a prayer meeting in the home of her husband. It says they had a prayer meeting in her home. Implying what? That the opening of a home for prayer, it depends much more on the sister than the brother, doesn't it? Again, I say, the brothers, that's another thing you don't want to leave to the brothers. Don't say, hey, we're going to have a meeting in our home. Could, could, could you just get, get everything ready for that? That's going to be a disaster. Now, the sisters have everything to do with the opening of a home for the church, for the church. Then, number eight, serving in the church. We're going to cover that tonight a little bit. Now, the last one is in Philippians chapter 4. Get your rocks ready to throw. (laughs) I exhort you odious, and I exhort Syntyche to think the same thing in the Lord. This is one that the sisters have trouble with. But you have to admit I'm being fair. I just said you're really good at a whole bunch of things. This one you're not as good at. Uh, I've been in the church life a long, long time. Uh, Served as an elder for many, many years. Please forgive me in advance. It's easier for two brothers to serve together than two sisters. Any two brothers and any two sisters. It just is. It just is. It's the nature of males and females. Men are objective. You know, let me prove it to you. Those of you who have kids. Two little boys can get in a fist fight. And after they're done pummeling each other, they're best friends. I mean, they walk away from the fight. Friends. But two little girls, they have an argument. They remember it 50 years later. It's true. It's true. Men are objective creatures. We are. We don't take everything subjectively. Women do. And they believe their subjective feeling is reality when it isn't. That's why the sisters need husbands. Us us guys are good for something. We're good at being objective. 
We don't take everything subjectively. But in serving in the church, man, it's hard for the sisters to coordinate. Much easier for the brothers because of this, because of this. Okay, Romans 16 is a chapter on the practical church life. From this chapter, we can see that the practical church life depends very much on the sisters. I told you, a whole bunch of the names that Paul mentions. Read it tonight. Read Romans 16 before you go to bed. It's a chapter on the sisters. Almost all the names. The first name mentioned there in Romans 16 is Phoebe. Phoebe has two descriptions assigned to her by the Apostle Paul. He said she is, <coughs> she is a deaconess and a patroness. We don't have any female elders in the church life. Why? Because there are no female elders in the Bible. Why would we have something different than the Bible? But we do have female deaconesses. We also have male deacons. A deacon or a deaconess, the Greek word, simply means a servant, a serving one. And when we say so-and-so is a deacon, the implication is he not only serves or she not only serves, but in that particular area of service, they bear some responsibility, right? That's what's implied there. Well, most of the services in the church, the sisters don't bear the primary responsibility but there's one that where they do. What is it? Children. You know, in that book, Raising Up the Next Generation for the Church Life, you all need to read that book. He says in that book, 90% of the children's work depends on the sisters. It's, it's right. Every church I've ever been in and every church I've ever been to, if the sisters aren't caring for the kids, the kids aren't being cared for. That work needs a deaconess. But Phoebe is also called a patroness, which is not a title in the church, is it? We have deacons. We don't have patrons. A patroness, which is a word of dignity, denotes one who helps sustains and supplies. Amen. That's good. Wouldn't you like the Apostle Paul to, to say, I commend to you our sister Minha, who is a patroness of the church. Man, I'd be so proud. I'd tell everybody, hey, Paul called me a patroness. That's what he did. He said, I commend to you, Phoebe. She's a patroness. In a sense, the church is a hospital needing many sisters to be nurses to care for the sick ones. You know, male nurses, I'm not in favor of male nurses. 
I mean, I know there are male nurses who are very good at their job. I don't want one taking care of me. <laughs> They're just not as good. They're just not as good. I've been in the hospital a few times. It's like, yeah, give me a female nurse. They know how to do it. In the church life, we have a lot of sick ones. And, you know, the church is not a police station. It's not a law court. We don't convict people here. We don't punish people here. We don't judge people. We're school to educate people. We're family to raise people up. And we're hospital to help the sick ones. We don't jail the sick ones. We, we, we heal them. We heal them. So that function very much needs the sisters. It very much needs the sisters. The Holy Spirit is the patron. Greek word parakletos may also be translated patron. And the serving sisters are patronesses. Oh, very good. Very good. Every local church needs a group of serving sisters who are like Phoebe. In the church in Shanghai, which was the largest church in China at the time of Watchman Nee, the serving sisters, this is a quote, the serving sisters rendered 90% of the building up of a strong church. In the miniature of the church life in John 12, Mary and Martha both served, didn't they, in two different ways. While Lazarus testified, very good. Hey, brother, how come your wife's not giving the message? Because Lazarus is testifying and Mary is serving. That's what we do in the church life. That's the pattern. Mary had a service that was more spiritual. Martha had a service which was more practical. And we need them both. We need Mary and Martha. And guess what? We need Lazarus. But we need Lazarus to do what Lazarus does. And what did Lazarus do? He testified of the resurrection life. He was, he was a person, you know, he did get raised from the dead. I, like, I haven't met a person yet who was raised from the dead, but if there is one, I want to meet him. If Lazarus is here, sorry, Mary, sorry, Martha, I want to talk to Lazarus right now. Yeah, the sisters have their function. The brothers have their function. And the, the, for the brothers to do their function, they can't do it unless the sisters do their function. People ask me because I travel so much. I go to many, many, many countries in a year. I get this question everywhere I go. That people say, how can you do what you do? I always give them the same answer. I say, I married the right person. That's the answer. That's how I can do what I do. Because... My wife wants me to serve. She's happy that I'm serving. 
She doesn't feel that her not doing what I'm doing is something less. Not a bit. Not a bit. In fact, she feels that she is serving the Lord by me doing my function and her doing her function. Okay, that's, that's Lazarus. The second vital aspect implied in Paul's recommendation of Phoebe is that her, sis, her service was in the church and for the church. Very good point. Let me read you Romans 16.1 um, <clears throat> so we get it right. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deaconess of the church, which is in Sencrea. Her service was for the church in Sencrea. It was in the church. It was for the church. It was not her thing that she did on her own, by herself, for herself. That can happen, can't it? The second sister mentioned in Romans 16 is Prisca (coughs) or Priscilla. Prisca is simply the shortened form of the name Priscilla. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Hey, Paul, how come you mentioned Prisca before Aquila? If I'm Aquila, I'm going to be offended. Hey, Paul, I'm the husband. How about Aquila and Priscilla? Not Paul. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, all the churches of the Gentiles and greet the church which is in their house. Awesome. Listen to the footnote on that. Showing, oh, sorry. Uh, Sorry, it's not in the footnote. Wherever Prisca and Aquila lived, the church met in their home. Before they moved to Rome, the place they were before, the church met in their home. When they moved to Rome, the church met in their home. Why did Paul mention Priscilla before Aquila? The church met in their home. I seriously doubt that Aquila had much to do with that, except paying the mortgage. Oh, look at this. She was mentioned before Aquila, implying that she may have been stronger in the church life than her husband. And she may have taken the lead to care, take care of the church. I think that's, that's a quote. I didn't write it, but I think it's good. It's, it's, I think it is implied there in Romans 16. When they were in Ephesus, the church met in their home. And when they were in Rome, the church met in their home. Paul said that these two risked their own necks not only for him, 
but also for the churches. Okay, here's a quote. In a family, if the wife does not take the lead to have the practical church life, the husband would always be frustrated. It's true. You want your husband to be for the Lord, for the church. <laughs> the only way that's going to happen is you actually have don't misunderstand me, but in that matter, you have to take the lead. You have to be so much for the church and for the care of the church that that he can be that also. In every family, if the wife takes the lead to have the church life, then it's easy for the whole family to be in the church life. It's true, isn't it? But but doesn't work if it's the husband. If the husband takes the lead to have the church life and the wife doesn't, the rest of the family is doesn't have a very good chance. I'm not saying it never happens, but by observation, that family's probably not going to be in the church life. But if the wife is for the church life, even if the husband is weak, or dead spiritually, the rest of the family can be in the church life. So in this particular matter, sisters are crucial. They're crucial. In Romans 16, 6 and 12, Paul says that Mary, another Mary, was laboring for the apostles. Ooh, for the apostles. And that Persis, another sister, labored very much. This labor is serving. So Mary's service and the service of Persis, they weren't only for the church. Their service was for the apostles. It doesn't tell us what they did, but I can guess. No doubt they prayed for the apostles. No doubt they cared for the needs of the apostles. We must come up to the standard of Romans 16. There is a shortage of the serving spirit among the sisters. Amen. Romans 16 should inspire us. Okay, Roman numeral two. Get your rocks ready. The sisters must Learn to speak words that minister life to others rather than any idle words or gossip. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about males gossiping or being busybodies, but it does talk about, particularly in First and Second Timothy, which is about what? The degradation of the church in the degraded church life that they were experiencing, Paul says, we've got gossips. We've got busybodies. They're going from house to house in the church just trying to find out everybody else's business. Does that ever happen? It happens. It happens a lot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it does. That's why it's in the Bible. 
blame Paul. If all the sisters would be burdened with the serving spirit, they would not have the time, amen, the strength, the energy, or the heart to talk about anything that does not minister life to others. Amen. (coughs) Of course, all of us need to exercise in our contact with the saints to minister life. But I, I say again, it's harder for the sisters to do this. It is. Because they like to talk. And they like to talk about people. And they like to talk about people's situation. They like to talk about people's problems. Uh, they like to do that. I'm, I'm not saying it's malicious. But I'm saying they like to do that. That doesn't minister life. That talk does not minister life. It actually hurts everybody you talk to. If Toby doesn't know about a problem that Andrew has, but I know it, and now I go and tell, hey, Toby, let me tell you, let me tell you about Andrew. That guy's bad. You know, he looks good. He's got a tie on and everything, but he's bad. Let me tell you what he did. I've just killed Toby, and after I killed Toby, I completely exposed this person who I'm pretending that I care about. Oh, I have to tell. Sorry, sorry, Andrew. I've got to tell Toby so that he can pray. He's not going to pray after I told him, oh, he's such a rotten guy. He's not going to pray. You know what he's going to do? He's going to tell Ray. (laughs) Ray, man, did you know Andrew? We thought he was good. He's not. He's terrible. And then is Ray going to then go and pray? No, he's going to tell Paul. (laughs) This is what happens. And, and, And the excuse is, Forgive me, sisters. Like I say, if you want to throw anything, I'm used to it. Um, Stephen got stoned. I'm no better than him. Um, The excuse always is, well, we, we need to talk about it so that we can pray. Let me say a little brief word about prayer, and we'll come back to this in this weekend. But let me say a brief word about prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to deal with people's problems, nor to talk about their problems, nor to expose their problems, nor to solve their problems. You do not have the solution. You don't even have the solution to your problems. You think you have the solutions to Andrew's problem? So what should we do in our prayer? Well, we have to learn how to pray. Here, here, here's, the, here's the word in 1 John. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin not unto death, there is a sin that's unto death, but very rare. It's very rare for a saint to commit a sin unto death. Moses did. Moses committed a sin unto death. 
and, and he lost the reward. But nearly every sin you will ever see in the church life is not a sin unto death. So if you see your brother sinning a sin not unto death, you shall fellowship with Jenny and Cece all of the details so that they can know about it and pray about it. No, no. You will kill Jenny and Cece. And after they're done hearing all of that, they're going to be so discouraged they'll have no heart to pray. No, you shall ask and give life. That's why the brother is sinning. He, he needs life. If you uncover his sin, you haven't helped him. And if you make his sin known to others, you have not helped him. If you minister life to him, you know what? You did solve his problem. You solved his real problem. His real problem is not that, that problem. His problem is not that sin. His problem is he's short of life. So if you really want to solve his problem, minister life. You'll solve it. And I don't even need to know any details. I don't need to know anything that this terrible person did. Nothing. I don't need to know. I can say, Lord, our brother, impart life to him. Infuse him with life. Fill him with life. Give him an appetite for life. Cause him to take life in. Save our brother from death. That's ten times better. That is a million times better than saying, Oh, Lord, you know, Andrew, what he did, it's just so terrible. And you just got to get him out of this horrific sin that he's involved with. And No. You don't need to know anything to pray. And it's actually better if you don't. I speak this as a leading one, and I think the brothers will agree with me. When people come to start telling me those kind of details, I say, please don't. Please don't. We'll pray. But I don't want to know. Because I'm going to sit next to Andrew in the next meeting, and I don't want to know his shortcomings. And I don't want, to, I don't want him to know mine either, because i got a whole bunch. No, no, no. We've got to learn how to pray. In the book, The Prayer Ministry of the Church, there's a, an utterance there that I really, really love. Brother Nee says, we need to learn to pray big prayers. We need to learn how to pray tremendous prayers. What would be an example of a big prayer? Or a tremendous prayer. How about Ephesians 3? How about instead of me talking about and praying about all of the gory details of Andrew's sin, how about if I say, Lord, strengthen my brother with power by your spirit into his inner man, that Christ may make his home in my brother's heart. Ooh, that's a big prayer. That's a tremendous prayer. That's how we need to pray for one another. 
Okay, we'll come back later to this. <coughs> in order to be a, listen to this, this is a quote. In order to be a proper serving one, you must learn not to talk. Not to talk at all. That's a quote from Brother Lee. I didn't embellish it. Let me read it again. In order to be a proper serving one, you must learn not to talk, not to talk at all, but rather to pray. I told the brothers, get, get your rocks ready. I told the brothers, we, we have a campus team where I serve. We've had it for 20 years. I used to serve with them. And we used to have, we have prayer every morning. We used to have Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, the brothers and sisters would pray together. Tuesday and Thursday, the brothers would pray with the brothers, sisters would pray with the sisters. But we had to stop because what the sisters would do, and maybe you're better than, maybe the sisters in New Zealand are probably the, I think, Ray, most likely, huh? The sisters in New Zealand have got to be better than the ones in Seattle. They got to be. No, they have to be. I don't want to be studying either. Yeah, because I'm leaving Lord's Day. You'll still be here. We actually had to stop. You know why? Because when the sisters came together, they spent the entire time talking, not praying. And what they were talking about. They were talking about the new ones. Oh, man, you know that girl that we met on the campus? And let me tell you all about her situation so you'll know. And an hour goes by and no prayer. And the the excuse, you know, I was in charge of the campus team. So, you know, I I was responsible. I said, what are you doing? They said, well, we got to, we know, how are we going to pray if we don't know the situation? I said, man, summarize. <laughs> if you want to talk about the situation, summarize it. Hey, that new one, she's living in a very simple situation we need to pray for. Done. Done. Five seconds. It's a trap, sisters. Don't, don't fall into that. Listen to this. <laughs> Here's another quote. I love this quote. I, I, I need it too. We all must learn to not only walk according to the mingled spirit, but also to talk according to the mingled spirit. Amen. 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 Sisters, talk according to the spirit. Amen. Amen. A major service of the sisters in the church life is prayer. The older sisters should be burdened to intercede for the younger sisters without the younger sisters even knowing about it. Wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be lovely? This kind of intercessory prayer is a real service to the church. The brothers especially the elders and co-workers, very much need the prayer of the sisters. Having an elder for a long time and a co-worker, 
it's really, really easy to criticize the elders. <laughs> They're the easiest target there is. In fact, the only target that's easier than the elders are the coworkers because they're doing so much. If you want to find fault with me, get in line. There's a whole lot of people who, who know this guy has plenty of faults. And, and like I say, they're on display, unfortunately, in the church life. What should we do with the elders? Talk about their shortcomings? Criticize them? No. Let me tell you something about the elders. In Revelation chapter 1, it says that the Son of Man, who is shepherding the churches, holds the stars in his right hand. Do you know that when the Lord shepherds the church, he actually pays particular attention to the leading ones? They are under the direct care of the Lord who is shepherding the churches. we got to pray for them. We need to pray for them. When Peter was imprisoned in Acts 12, there was a prayer meeting in Mary's home to pray for Peter. When you see a need in the church life, do not talk about it. Rather, bear the burden to pray. The best way to serve is to pray. Hey, we'll come back to this in later meetings, but I want to save some time for you to to talk according to the Spirit.